0: Welcome back to Trust Issues, a podcast from Kepler Trust Intelligence. I'm David Kimberley and I'm part of the investment trust team here at Kepler. Before I introduce this week's guest, a quick reminder that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested when you decide to sell your investments. It is strongly recommended that if you are a private investor, independent financial advice should be taken before making any investment or financial decision. This week, I'm joined by Felicia Hertman, the founder and CEO of Tillit, an investment platform that provides clients with access to a curated set of funds. Uh, prior to joining Tillit, Felicia spent eight years as a portfolio manager at asset management group, Daily Gifford. Felicia, thanks for joining me. Uh, to get started, could you talk a bit about what Tillit does and also why you decided to set up the company?
1: Sure. Um, hi, David. Great to be here today. Um, so yeah, very excited to to share our story. And yeah, so for me, I, as you mentioned, I was a fund manager before setting up Tillit, uh, started out as an investment analyst and then moved on to managing money, uh, Japanese equities specifically. And really enjoyed that, but kind of, um, we'll come on to why we, why I started Tillit. But what Tillit does now, that so I left Bailey Gifford in 2019 to set up Tillit. And what Tillit is, is a DIY investment platform, but we focus on funds, investment trusts, and ETFs. And we are also, as you mentioned in your intro, a curated platform. So what that means is that we have experts in the team who go out and roam the market, filter the market of the thousands of funds um, that are out there down to what we believe to be the best in class across asset classes, regions, styles, structures, etc. cetera. Um, and we essentially try to build a platform where we put the power back in the hands of the personal investor to make better investment decisions. And I think that's the key thing, because that is what's tied to why we started Tillit, of really building a platform that makes that easy, that makes that accessible, and it makes it uh, engaging for people who want to manage their own long-term savings.
0: Great. And I mean, the, the thing I saw, I thought initially when I first saw browse through the app and the website and so on, Um is I think if you look at trends in, in the retail investment space today, it's a a lot of, most of the platforms that are set up are really broad It's basically here's a massive universe of stocks, ETFs, whatever, figure out what you want to invest in. Um, so why go for the option of curating the funds as opposed to just listing everything and, um, letting people make up their own mind? Um, and actually, maybe before that, can you talk a bit about like how broad the universe is? Because that's something that you didn't really touch on in the first question.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so maybe kind of why curated comes back a bit to again. Why did we start the, the company in the first place? And for me, it, it all started with a personal experience of, you know, even as an industry insider, um, I was struggling to make good decisions on the, the kind of established platforms that were out there in the market um and what i mean by that is that whilst i had the knowledge of what to look for to pick one fund versus another i didn't have the information that i required to make that decision uh, available to me on these platforms instead there's just these lists of thousands of funds and even on the buy list there's very little information about those funds it's all if you think about it the very vast majority of it is um quantitative data it's backward-looking data performance fees uh, a manager's background who went to oxford 20 years ago like all of this stuff which doesn't really tell you what a fund is trying to achieve and why therefore it might be right for me in my portfolio and i found that quite uh quite a distinct quite a quite an interesting contrast compared to what the insti- institutional investors get access to they get to grill us and so find um they get to grill us as fund managers on what we do, how we invest, why we invest that way. And that's what I think the personal investors should be able to do. And so that's what I thought was a gap in the market because I was so frustrated. I'm like, I want to pick my own funds, but I cannot do that well and in an informed manner on these platforms. So that's why we wanted to build a platform that helps with that. And until it in itself, I just wanted to add that as well means trust in Swedish. I am Swedish and it's, really speak to the core of what we're trying to do. We're trying to be that trusted friend who people ask for advice of, you know, what should I invest in? How do I think about this? People tend to ask their friends, family and and trusted uh, people in their circle. And we want to be that platform who gives you that kind of support as well. And so part of that is the the curation, as you mentioned. Everyone wants choice, right? But too much choice can be overwhelming. And it just, even just when you have a wall of thousands of options, the time, it, even if it might be just a perception to take you through those and go through those and make a, uh, again, a, a good decision that isn't just random, um, takes a lot out of someone. And, and most of us have full time jobs. And so what we're trying to do is look at instead of it being about you have everything that's available in the market, is trying to think of what are people trying to achieve? Because there's only so many asset classes, there's only so many regions you can invest in, there's only so many styles. And so as long as we pick a selection that's nice and broad, but limited in number, then it means that you still have options as the personal investor looking for something, regardless of what that is. But once you've applied those filters, once you've looked, once you've searched for the things that you're after, you're left with maybe five or seven options rather than 50 or 70. And I think that's the point of curation is trying to give you that breadth of choice but without overwhelming you so that you can be informed and not overwhelmed um, and so the universe today is as to your second question around how broad is the universe right now it's about 100 uh, across uh, funds investment trusts and etfs and that is across passive and active we don't have a kind of target number uh on the platform what we always look for in the investment committee and in the fund selection team is do we have the choice that we need within different verticals, within different asset classes, within different combinations of of styles and regions and so on. And there's still a bit more work to be done there, but we feel like we have a really robust starting point of that hundred um, that we have on the platform right now.
0: Great. And um, as a sort of follow up to that, when you're curating those, or, or deciding what goes into the onto the platform, who is making that decision and also what sort of factors do you look at? I mean, if I think about, say, you, if you if you wanted, say, UK equity income for investment trusts, there's obviously like a huge, huge number, um, some of which may be quite similar to, to each other. Why would you choose one and not the other? that makes sense?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, we are, we have a few different processes in place. So first of all, we have a manifesto, our fund selection manifesto, which kind of outlines in uh, in a dozen points or more, which is on the website. Actually, we're transparent with that of what are we broadly looking for as a starting point. Of what are we trying to achieve, and then after that, we based on that, we then gone out to to figure out on a bottom up basis of what are the best in class funds across across the market, bearing this manifesto in mind. Um, And we kind of try to narrow it down by then getting a lot more information from the fund managers. So we send out a very bespoke RFP. We have meetings with the fund managers. We do a lot of in-depth analysis in-house and we then discuss uh, ideas put forward in our investment committee meetings. And so there's a lot of different stages in our process of, of narrowing that down. And what's what's really important there is that some of those things that in our manifesto that we look for is we look at everything from, it's kind of three parts. We look at the asset manager, the structure of that, the culture of that, what it stands for, how it manages its people, how it's structured, who owns it, all of those things. That's that's one part. Then we have another part, which is the fund manager. If it's an actively managed fund or investment trust, we look at the fund managers who's named on that on that vehicle, and we look at what's their background, how much experience do they have, what else do they manage? How focused on this are they? Are they invested in their own fund? All of those different things. And we then the third part, which is a really core one as well, which is that the fund itself. What is the philosophy of that fund? What is it really trying to achieve? And what is it not trying to be? Because that's also really important. Of if You're trying to be everything for everyone. You end up with the index or the mainstream and you don't really stand out. Um, And then how does it do that? So what is the process? Is that clearly defined? Can they articulate that? Can they give examples of that? How has that changed over time? And then we look at also, of course, fees and how is this good value for money within that sector based on what it's trying to do, et cetera. So we look at all of these different things and try to bring that together. And and that's not just analysis that we do in-house. We then try to package that up in a way that gives you, the personal investor, that information back in a, almost like an executive summary, where it's summarizing what is this fund? What is it trying to achieve? What are the key risks? Why do we think it's special? Why might it be right for you? And and there's, again, much more of that coming in on the platform over the next few months, which we're really excited about. But that's what we can do by being curated. We can go deeper on those funds. We can do proper due diligence, both coming on to the platform, but also ongoing while they're on, on the platform as well.
0: Right. So maybe to move on to a slightly different but similar topic. Um, I mean, I'm sure from your time at Bailey Gifford, you're aware that growth investing, much of the past decade or so, um, has basically been the the predominant force and and the one that's really driven uh, returns for investors. Um, over the past twelve months, that seems that seems sort of to, ch- to have changed. Um, I mean, do you think that's a permanent change or is it a temporary phenomenon or something in between?
1: I think we're actually in a really interesting time in the markets because just like you said, for the last decade, it's been, you know, growth, growth, growth. And I was very fortunate to work in a growth focused um, firm. And so that was an exciting time to be a fund manager. But also, I think we, it's been a really long run for growth and people maybe got to a point where started to doubt that dude stars go in and out of favor. But if you zoom out a bit more and take a longer term perspective then beyond the last decade, and you can see that, you know, there's other times and periods uh, in the markets where value has been the, the main thing going, not growth. And I think that's what we're going through right now is that reminder that nothing ever lasts forever in that things change. Markets change as reflections of what's happening in the world. And there's nothing new to that. So... I think some people, perhaps more than others, were always expecting there to be a bit of a shift. We just, no one knows when, right? We can't see into the future. And and some people, I think, even started giving up on value, um, both managers and fund selectors and, and investors. And, and what we're seeing right now, as you said, there's a bit of a rotation. And I think that's really interesting how far down we are in that rotation, how long that's going to last. I don't know. Um and as in, no one knows how long these things last, right? And and some people will argue that value is still cheap relative to growth. Um and but even though if you, if you look at kind of high level kind of valuation metrics, growth has fallen a lot and and are on some aspects cheaper than like below the 10 year averages, but not really below the 15, 20 and 25. Not far off, but Again, depending on which metrics you want to look at, there is potentially still some way to go. Um, But I think that's that's an exciting thing for a long term investor. Right. Because it means that there may still be an opportunity to buy into value. If you if you want to kind of look for that, you might not necessarily have missed the boat on that yet. But equally, there might be a really exciting entry point to go into growth or buy more of growth if that's what you believe in. And, And I think this is why markets need volatility so that people can reassess and, and get opportunities to invest in different areas over the long term. And I think just kind of final point I would make to this is that the industry, I believe, has made a really nice way of, of pigeonholing growth versus value. But actually, when you're managing the money or when you're picking stocks, whether you're a professional or or, or an individual, you always look for good value and you always look for growth. So it's not necessarily as black and white as a growth style and a value style. And and what is a growth stock today might be a value stock tomorrow. So it's um it's, it's, it's an interesting way of how we structured markets and how we structured styles. Um, but I do think that then there are rotations within what's going on within those, even if you do believe in those different distinctions.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, if you speak to people, especially someone who's not necessarily uh, active or interested in, markets they can and you and you try and explain the difference between growth and value they can look at you a bit like you're you're crazy or something like that <laughs> um but i mean g- given we are in this seeming you know changing environment and there does seem to be some rotation away from growth to value um for someone in your position who's working for a company that creates a set to funds um has that made it has that made your job harder um i mean do you have do you have to then think okay well perhaps we shouldn't be putting in more growth oriented funds today given given what's going on
1: i think if anything it might have made it easier because we have been struggling to add great value funds for a long time ever since we've built the initial universe we've known that the the platform we had more growth on there than value and it's been a discussion from day one of how do we get more great value funds on there but you know, go back 12, 18 months time, there, there's certainly, if anything, more and more value funds were disappearing because of this lost faith in the style that value managers didn't even want to admit that they're value managers anymore. And there weren't as many. And, and so we really, we have been struggling. We are still looking for great value funds because we think that the balance is perhaps not where we want it to be. And so that's the first thing that hopefully with this change back and, and kind of, reinvigorated interest in the style, there might be other great value funds that pop up over the next kind of 12 months, three years, five years, you know, in in the future um, and gives us more things to consider. So if anything, we're quite excited about that. And it means that it's now um, perhaps easy to find those and have those conversations. And I think the other thing that's really important to, to bear in mind around what we do compared to a manager who manages a fund of funds, you can buy and sell the funds in that fund as and when you think it's appropriate right but as a curated platform we can't just add a fund on take it off add another one on take it off we have to think about it as a as a permanent to the extent that it's possible as a permanent universe and by that what I mean is that we need it comes back to the earlier point that I made around why curation is that we're trying to make sure that there's always good options regardless of what style or area or type Invest of of fund or investment trust or ETFs you're looking to invest in, and and that it shouldn't be about what's in vogue at the moment in the market. It should be about because even three years ago, even five years ago, there might have been people who don't not interested in growth, and so we need to make sure that we have great value funds on, and vice versa, and similar with different regions in the world and different asset classes. And so we always have to take that longer term view of the universe as well, and make sure that it's not just a a current universe, so to speak, but it actually um, speaks to a, a broad range of what of outcomes and goals that people have, uh, rather than what's it what's in fashion right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point as well. But something you um, you kind of touched on there is, and this is maybe it's a simple technical question: uh, if you have a list of say a hundred funds on your platform, and you decide actually we want to take this off. What happens to someone that's in, on the platform and invested in it? So do, do they still get to hold on to their shares or, or units or whatever it is?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and just to be clear, we as a we don't offer personal advice, so we we don't force people to sell or, or or buy anything. And we even in that situation would never force a customer to sell out of something. What we would do is we would communicate a change in our view of that fund. Uh, and also, by the way, when I say fund, I, I include investment trust and ETFs, so that it's just easier to kind of, everything yeah. is, is is funds in that way. But we would communicate that view to the, the customer who owns those, as well as other customers on the platform, and outline why we've changed that view and what we're doing to, if we are considering removing it from, from the platform, uh, or if we just kind of want to flag any change in that, that we think that they should be aware of. Um, but the, the kind of the, the furthest we would go, would be that, say, you hold a particular investment trust that I don't hold, that's on TILET. Um And we decided as um, in the IC and with the, within the fund selection team that we wanted to remove that. What we would do is um, the, the one of us who holds it, it would still be visible to you, but it wouldn't be visible to, to anyone else who doesn't yet hold it. So we're kind of building up, and, and we are actually in the process right now of building something which isn't live yet, but which is called the dark universe, because we think of the funds on the platform as our universe, it's our, the Tillit universe, and we're building this dark universe to accommodate for, the main reason we're doing that is for, to make it easy for people to transfer in to TILIT, which we'll talk about more when that's live, how that's going to work, but essentially it means that we will keep that live in the background, and we will keep um, key data points like performance and so on, live for you to see, but we may not make it available to, uh, to new customers to buy into that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. And um, in general, I think if you look at most um, most investment, retail investment platforms over the past months, um, past, past 12 months, sorry, and you look at, say, the publicly listed ones, you can go into their documents and see that the AUMs, I think, in most cases, have fallen. Um, so w- what's it been like for you? I mean, have you seen more inflows or outflows in, in this time?
1: Um, it's it's an interesting one because whilst it's very early days for us, and, and part of that, therefore, there's there's an element of growth, perhaps compared to an established platform where there might be less growth and more about kind of existing clients moving in and out of, of certain things and taking money off the table and, and so on. For us, yes, there's we're building up our customer base and our asset base um, fundamentally. But I think what's also been really interesting is um, whether it's a new customer or someone who, joined us when we were in beta 12 months ago, they are, if anything, adding to the platform. And we've seen very little to basically next to nothing in terms of outflows. Um, And I think that's been really encouraging. It is early days, but we believe that that could be a great sign that our customers are indeed exhibiting long-term investing behavior, which is exactly what we're about. We don't want customers to to um, what we are not is a trading platform, and we're not looking to be there to help you trade in and out of individual stocks or in and out of of different themes. We're not about that. We're about trying to support people make great long term investment decisions, and that's it. And, and what we mean by long term is kind of five years and beyond. And so, if we're seeing people, if you are a long term investor and you can afford to take that longer term view, this might actually be quite an interesting time to, to add to your accounts and to your investments and and that's if anything the the big theme that we're seeing on the platform right now
0: great and uh to go to go back to markets again i think one area that is also on your platform is is alternatives um i think definitely in the trust space a lot of a lot of alternatives um were appealing to investors because of the yields they offer Um, But if interest rates start to rise, maybe that will start to change. Do you think that's a a, a fair comment Um, or or do you have any thoughts on it in general?
1: I think it might be part of the story. I think maybe lower yields might have played a role for some investors um, looking to kind of buy into alternatives. But I'm not sure that's the only reason I think taking a step back alternatives is quite a broad asset class right we i mean what, what we include in alternatives on our platform is commodities infrastructure um private assets it's it's quite a range and there might be other things coming in there over the next kind of few months and so on um and that is that is i guess the point right of what does what role does alternatives play in a broad portfolio and I think a lot of that is about diversification against other things. And and commodities behave and have different benefits very differently to infrastructure, which again is very different to private assets. And so I guess alternatives as a as an asset class for us is so much more than just about um a space to to hunt for for yield. And and I think it can be more than that for for other investors as well. And and and, and I think that's how we look at it. So I think you're right to an extent, but I'm I don't think that's the only Reason and I and we definitely believe that alternatives will continue to play a key role in in people's portfolios.
0: Great, and perhaps to to finish off, final question. I'm sure some people listening, even if they don't want to admit it, may be old enough to remember the 1970s, with where where we had uh, sort of global instability in markets, hyperinflation, all that sort of stuff. But I think for for many retail investors, even professional investors they've only really had experience of investing in, in the bull market that's, that's existed for the past, whatever, 10, 15 years. So what sort of advice would you give to someone who's looking to, you know, retail investors, looking to weather the storm we seem to be facing at the moment, whether it's, you know, inflation, energy crisis, all those sorts of things?
1: It's a tough one. We, as humans, right, we, we react to the environment around us. Um, but I would I would like to kind of encourage people to when things get rocky to and whatever aspect that might be in to try to remain focused on your goals and what you tried to set out to achieve in the first place. And and what I mean by that is instead of trying to make rash decisions in the moment, trying to think back to when did you start investing and what, why, what is your time horizon? What are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? What do you require? Are you looking for income? Are you looking for growth? When do you need the money back? All of those different things. And, you know, one of those famous sayings of, of time in the market versus timing the market and timing the market is notoriously difficult to do. And professionals really struggle with that. Right. And it's it's to the extent that you can have that long term view that we talked about earlier of of looking on a five year horizon and and definitely beyond that and think about things like your pension is perhaps trying to see this volatility and the changes Um, as potentially an opportunity to to top up, assuming that your portfolio is still achieving what you need it to to achieve. Um, And and that might be hard to remember, right? But so so for instance, I keep an investment journal and it's quite common that professional fund managers keep a journal. A lot of the people I used to work with at Bailey Gifford kept um, an investment journal and it is really helpful. It doesn't have to be lengthy of any kind, but it is really helpful when you're making a decision or even even taking a step back up before you make decide what to invest in but when you set out to invest and depending on the account of again coming back to the pension versus a, a shorter term account uh, of like five and ten years versus 30 years um what are you trying to do in that and even if you just jot down a few bullet points and you have it written down then it's easy to go back to that when you feel like Oh, my God, I should be making changes right now, because because you may want to, but you may also not want to. And it's easier to go back to your more perhaps rational self, which you and, and look at the rationale and, and the, the reasons for why you did certain things when you were not in the eye of the storm, so to speak. Um, and again, doing the same thing for if you're buying into a particular fund or a stock or an asset class or or whatever it might be, again, just outlining very briefly. Why are you doing that? What do you believe is why do you want to to invest in this? And so if you can revisit those things in times like now and see, do I still think this holds? Like, is this, um, is this requirement still here for me? And, and is this way that I thought I could play this, uh, this exposure. Is this still the correct way to do that? Is this fund or this stock still performing or not just performing in the way that I expected, but does it still, this is still, fulfill the, the gap that it's supposed to do. And and performance goes in and out, right? And and that uh, rises and falls with markets over time. But it's more just going more deeper into the fundamentals of why did you make that decision? And at that point, you might realize, no, I do need to make some reallocations, I need to make some sales, or I need to buy something. Or indeed, you might realize, actually, now might be a great time to top up because I still believe in all of these things. And now that particular asset might be cheaper. And so you might then want to buy more. All of this, assuming that you have the savings you you need for short term uh, kind of liquidity and so on to support you. Um, but it's for those longer term savings, looking at why did you make those decisions in the first place, rather than trying to make informed decisions on the spot when everything is chaos around you. Does that make sense? I'm not sure. It's much easier yeah. advice to give than to follow, um, yeah. but that's why I find the whole writing down can really help keep you keep yourself honest and help you when you're when you're in doubt. Yeah.
0: Well, everyone listening, you know now you have to start keeping an investment journal. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's. Uh, yeah. I think that's very good. Good, good advice. I mean, um, I, I think the the point you made there at the end is that when everything's – seems when it seems like the world is kind of collapsing around you, it's very tricky to keep a level head and and remember why you bought particular stock or investment trust shares or whatever it is in the first place. Um, And and then if you're panicking, you can end up doing something you might end up regretting.
1: Um, Exactly. And, And I think just to add to that as well, as you said, a lot of your listeners will have invested for a really long time. And I, and I bet many of them have moments when they look back at something and they say, Oh my God, that was such a great opportunity. I should have bought that then or I should have sold that then or whatever it might've been. And those things are always really easy with 2020 hindsight. And I think that's the thing of, we know as humans that as we move through this, it will not be, when you think the world is going to end, you're probably, it's it's not as bad as you think. And when you think everything is the most amazing rosy time ever, it's probably not as good as you think. You just don't know where in the cycle you are with that. And I think that's the thing of not not trying to, try not to let that emotion around that drive your decision-making in your portfolio.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, I think that's also a good a good point on which we to stop on. Uh, So Felicia, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, If anyone listening is interested in learning more about Tillit, you can visit the website. It's uh, tillitinvest.com. I believe Felicia is also on Twitter and stuff like that. So you can Google her and I'm sure you can find out more that way. Um, And thanks, again, everyone, for listening. Uh, Remember to subscribe to the Kepler Trust Intelligence podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And we'll be back soon with another riveting, riveting episode of Trust Issues. So thanks again and have a good day.
1: Thank you so much, David, for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Trust Issues by Kepler Trust Intelligence. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember to visit our website at trustintelligence.co.uk to keep up with all the latest research on investment trusts.